Um, I'm reading Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from, uh, from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, thanks, Val. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. Uh, We're continuing in our series in Genesis 1 to 12. Uh, For those who haven't been here... uh, Hopefully you won't need to have been here for the last few weeks because uh, this, this is a wonderful passage uh, that certainly uh, speaks quite directly to all of us. And at first I thought, why am I preaching this on Mother's Day? Uh, but the more I reflected, I'm going to make it relevant somewhere. So uh, I think it's actually very relevant, to be honest, particularly with that video we've just seen. So let's pray. And, uh, and we'll have a look at this uh, passage more closely. Father God, we do thank you that your word is powerful. It is the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit. And Father, in faith, we now open it and we ask that you penetrate our hearts, uh, that you show us your truth. And Lord, as we reflect on this, uh, this sin uh, that is permeating the earth right from the outset, Father God, we pray that you will speak into us. We pray that you will encourage us, but also draw us into a place where we understand uh, how to to seek and how to gain your favour. So, Father God, we pray all this now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray 
Amen. Well, not to boast, I just realised this is a bit of a boast, but I've, uh, I've finished now six years equivalent uh, of full-time Bible college, which is quite ridiculous. No, 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 please. No, that's just silly. Uh, so please don't clap. Uh, anyone who goes to college for six years is a bit, a bit crazy, I think. But anyway, uh, but the, the reason I went to Bible college originally was just to do one year. Uh, I was over at Randwick Presbyterian Church and God really laid it on my heart to preach one day and, and well, I was actually over in Europe, I'd, I'd fled, I'd run away over to Europe and while I was over there, having thought that I'd be there to pursue my financial services career, uh, God really placed it on my heart to come home and ask my pastor if I could preach. At that time I thought it was ridiculous, uh, I spent my schooling refusing to get up uh, in speaking in front of anyone and, uh, and getting zero for, for all my uh, tasks. Anyway, so I came back and I, I, I preached this sermon and people were like, you've got to go to Bible college. I don't know whether it was because I was so awful or because they thought there was some encouragement there. But So I committed because we had the principal of SNBC in our congregation and our pastor was one of the best preachers uh, in Australia, I think. And so... Uh, so I, I was encouraged to do their first year of the preaching certificate at SMBC. They just announced that they were starting it. And I tell you, it was one of the best years of my life. We had a group of 10 people. We were the pioneers, if you like, in this. Uh, but it was also the most brutal uh, year of my life. It was almost every week I seemed to be having to stand up in front of my peers and preach a sermon. But it's not just your peers it is some of the best preachers and theologians in all of Australia. And I tell you, the amount of work that you put into it uh, to then stand up and preach and expose it all and then to be critiqued immediately afterwards and, uh, and basically dissected and ripped apart, it was brutal. Uh, and I tell you, the first couple of sermons, like any good student, I thought, well, what do I, what's the least I need to do in order to make them think that I've done a good job without doing the work that I need to do. That's what all students think. Uh, but I tell you, you cannot stand in front of uh, the experts and fool them in that way. And I remember those first couple of critiques and I wanted to quit. That was the end of it. I, there is no way. It was public, it was humiliating. Uh, they obviously saw through everything that I hadn't done and did do. Uh, they ripped apart my theology. They ripped apart my, my delivery. They, they ripped apart anything. Now, they didn't do that to humiliate me. They didn't do that because they just enjoyed ripping me apart. And they don't, didn't do that because they got paid to do it. They did that because they cared. So I found out later. <laughs> they did it. Because they cared for the kingdom, they cared for the quality that was about to go out into it, and they cared about me. They cared that, uh, that if I was really going to go down this, this line, then I needed to hear the tough truths. See, genuine love will not accept qualities and effort that go against what is best for the person making that offering out there, nor... Uh, take second best for the kingdom that it's meant to represent. And before us this morning in Genesis chapter 4, we really have an offering into the expert 
of God to the expert of God by Cain, which is really being critiqued. And it's not being critiqued because God loves to rip apart the people that he is walking with, but because in love he's trying to care for Cain. See, back in chapter 3, sin entered the world. A world that was perfect and a world that God declared was very good, very good. The punishment for breaking that trust and breaking that covenant with God, that, uh, that relationship with God, was to be banished from the garden. And Adam and Eve were now unworthy. Sin had entered them. They had, they, they had their eyes opened as such, but now they knew uh, they, they knew what sin was. And God could not be in the presence of anyone who was no longer holy, perfect, righteous as they were created in his image. And if you think about it, the fact that there's a Genesis chapter 4 is remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Because God would have been just to end the story there. Imagine this alternate ending. From chapter 3, verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. No acceptance of what they've done. So God demonstrated his justice by destroying the earth he created and all that was in it, the end. Well, that would be a fair and just ending. It would demonstrate God's justice without doubt. He would be upheld as the just God. Now, I wouldn't be here talking about it, that's for sure. You see, the fact that there's even a chapter 4 is quite remarkable when, with what's just gone on. And what it reveals is that God has not given up on humanity and his character isn't just about justice. There's more to it. There's more to God than just everyone doing the right thing. It is about relationship. It is about grace. It is about mercy. It is about the fullness of love that he is. And this is all demonstrated by the fact that there is a Genesis chapter 4. And the chapter begins with Eve giving birth to Cain and Abel. I'll just read that again for you. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Now there's nothing really extraordinary for us here. This is how we all know life to be. But if you think back, the first woman was made out of Adam by his rib. But now, all men are being brought forth out of women. And I want you to notice the interconnectedness of man and woman that is flowing from chapter 3 right through now to chapter 4. And in many respects, this is the first Mother's Day, isn't it? There you go, I knew I could get it in there somewhere. This is the first Mother's Day. See, what it's highlighting is this special relationship that is between man and woman. And I think there's something very distinct and important about the fact that these two men, Cain and Abel, were born of their mother. There is a very special relationship here. 
See, people coming from the wombs of their mothers creates a bond like no other. And I think only a mother quite understands that. I know as a father, I can't understand that same bond that my two kids have with their mum. But we're also aware that it's a bond between two fallen people. Two people who are with sin. So the reason we watch a video like we did earlier is because Mother's Day is not what it should be. It was never meant to be this way. And so we live in this reality of a brokenness and the sin. And what we're being shown here as it unfolds is just how real the accounts are of the impact of sin in our world. You see, it's one thing taking forbidden fruit when you're told not to. But the impact of that on the world is what chapter 4 is about to unveil for us. This is the reality of what we are living in now. And then we are confronted with the biggest problem here, the real problem of when sin is operating in our world. Have a look at verses 3 to 5. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Seemed like two very good things to do, offerings to God. Cain brought an offering, which was from his his farming of the crops, and Abel from his farming of the flocks. But look at the difference. Cain brought whatever. Abel brought the very best of the best. Abel sacrificed the firstborn of his flocks, the most prized and valuable of all that, uh, that, that he had, in order to present to the Lord. And what we are seeing here is an insight in how worthy each man considers God. How worthy they consider him with their life. See, is God worthy to receive the best of your life, the best of your wealth, the best of your time, the best of your assets? Is that how you view him? Or is he just worthy to to get his portion just as you divvy it up to everyone else? Does he get what's left or is he the first to receive? Now I think it's important for us to address this. Now I don't think it's the main point going on here. But wherever you look in the Bible, you cannot separate the wealth that you have from your faith in God. Now, our world today has done a great job of making your wealth a reflection of your faith. The message that is going out is that your faith and how strong it is will reflect in how much wealth you have and the blessing that God gives you because of your faith. But that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is your faith will be reflected 
by how much and how well you use your wealth, particularly when it comes to offering it to God. You should be offering your wealth to God as the first fruits, the best of what you have. And just as a disclaimer, I am not Benny Hinn and I'm not going to get a jet. My wage is set by the Baptist Association and whether our balance sheet doubles, it makes no impact on me or my lifestyle. But it does reflect your faith. And what it does is it enables us collectively as a church to then go forward for the kingdom of God and to use that so that perhaps those with disabilities or the frail can actually get into the church. Or when they're in the church, they feel comfortable that they can get to the toilet in time. Do you know there's people who don't come to church anymore because our toilets are downstairs, our worship's up here, and it takes them so long to get down there that it's too hard for them. And they're afraid. Like, you know, I'm just laying that out there, you know? Like, and, and, and the only way that we can fix that is that if we commit our assets and our finances. And I'm sure that that's something that we'll come asking you for at some point. Now, I say this because our faith is reflected in what we value most, and that is usually our wealth. And in our culture, definitely our wealth. So I just want to put it... Put it to you, does your faith say God is worthy above all things to receive the best of the best? Or if I opened up, not that I'm going to, but if I opened up your, if someone opened up, I shouldn't say me, if someone opened up your, your bank account statements, what would they see your worth towards God is? Now I don't think that's the main point here, but I think it's a very important one. And because it's introduced so early on in the Bible, we see it going over and over again. So the offerings are made and the story shows us what is truly at the heart of what unfolds here. You see, God looks at favour upon Abel's offering, not so much because of the value of the material offering, but it reflects his heart. He sees God as worthy and uh, of his honour and praise with his wealth. But God does not look with favour upon Cain's offering. And to Cain, he doesn't grant his acceptance and approval. Now that's the heart problem here. See, from almost the moment we are born, I think we're seeking acceptance and favour and approval from those around us. As young babies and children, we are always looking for the approval. My kids, I've got a four and a five-year-old, and no matter what they do, they are looking for my approval and my uh, acceptance of them. could be from wearing their first pair of shoes, and they keep pointing at them for people to recognise that they've got their first pair of shoes, and you need to say, whoa, what a big girl or what a big boy you've become. The first run, jump, riding a bike, brushing teeth, making breakfast. We're looking for approval and recognition. We desire the favour of our parents. We move into school. 
We're looking for acceptance and approval from our peers, the clothing we wear, the choices we make, how we, our style is. See, our choices are often tied up with trying to gain acceptance and approval. And if we show that we don't care and we go and do something else, well, what are we labelled? You're a rebel. We look for our parents' response about the marks we receive, the sporting achievements. When a young person does something on a sporting field, I can guarantee the first thing they do is look over to their parents for their approval. So we become adults, we look for approval based on our business cards and our uh, titles, our achievements, the businesses we've built, the salary we earn, the family we've created. As we move into retirement, we can still be looking for approval. Approval from uh, others about the the legacy we've left, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, the businesses we've passed on, what we did with our life. And on a day like today, we remember mothers are always questioning whether their type of mothering is approved by others. What strikes me about social media is I can guarantee mothers are constantly barraged with all these things which make them feel like they're not being good mothers. They should be doing more. Because we all long for approval. We all long for acceptance. We all long for favour. And some of us spend our lives still seeking approval from mothers and fathers and others. Yet when we seek approval, or even worse, we don't get it, when we've offered something for approval and get a negative appraisal, it can be devastating. That first year of Bible college, I tell you, it was devastating. All I wanted to do was hear my lecturers say, wow, you've got a future ahead of you, haven't you? You won't need to study for six years to learn how to do anything. You can do it now in your first week. Go forth and bear fruit, young man. But it hurts. It hurts when you get rebuked. And Cain here has been terribly hurt. He's angry that his brother has found favour, acceptance, approval from God when he hasn't. He's really upset. And it manifests itself in many ways. It feels unjust. It makes us jealous, envious. It leaves us feeling humiliated. And for Cain, he's not going to get over it. It's his younger brother who has done something to make him look wrong. And in one verse, the situation of humanity here goes from taking fruit that seems good and delicious to murder. To murder. Jealousy, envy, covetousness, deception, anger, lying, then murder. They're all in this passage. Why? Because the truth, the truth of the situation had exposed the heart. But while Cain has unjustly murdered his brother, I want you to notice here, It's not really his brother he has an issue with. This isn't about his brother. This is about him and God. 
See, his anger is actually towards the standards that God has placed upon him and which he's failed to meet. And it's manifested itself towards his brother. And sin often does that. We manifest our guilt and our shame and we look to the other and it might be in gossip or or it might be in cut-downs with our words. Because we feel like we're humiliated or whatever it is. And so we go on the attack. We look to our brothers and sisters and we drag them down because there's something harbouring inside of us that we have not made right with God. I see it all the time. People refuse to come to God and repent. And so they get angry and they start... They start causing dissension and issues throughout churches and throughout lives, in workplaces. And that's what's happening here. Cain has been revealed to have brought a half-hearted offering, something that showed that he didn't value God as he should have. And he's angry. He's angry towards God, but he knows he can't lash out at God and so he, he turns to the one who really exposed him to God by his right offering, and that's his brother. But I also want you to notice is how God graciously deals with Cain. See, God isn't unaware and uncaring of the impact his disfavour and his disapproval has caused. Have a look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So we have to make a decision here about verse 6. Now, I don't like emailing. And the reason many of us don't email or shouldn't email is because the other person rarely reads the right tone into our emails. When we read emails, we tend to read into whatever our emotion is onto that email. And we can do that with scripture as well. And I think the danger with verse 6 is we read the wrong tone. Now, I remember the first couple of times I read this preparing for today, I might as well have put you idiot at the end of those first three questions. Why are you angry, you idiot? Why is your face downcast, you idiot? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted, you idiot? Like, we're in danger here. If that's how we're reading it, then effectively... We could blame God for what Cain goes on to do. Can you see how easy it would be to just look like God is flippantly going, why are you angry? Just go and sort it out. But I think because of the statement that comes after that, we can be assured that that's not how God is speaking here. See, what is important about this text is God is speaking to Cain's heart. He's not saying to him, well, if you just do what I want you to do, then I'll love you. 
This isn't emotional manipulation of God. Remember, God could have annihilated the the world in chapter 3 for a start. But he speaks, I think, gently into him. He's actually a father speaking wisdom and giving warning to his child. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now that's a father rebuking his son. Look, what you've done is wrong. But now you need to be careful. Because sin is crouching at your door. See, what aligns with God's character is what we're called to be. It's what Cain is called to be. It's what Abel is called to be. But when we break that, there is only one way, and that is to turn back to God in repentance. But notice here the crouching of sin. I want you to think about how this works in your life. I've got a cat Her name's Willow. You might have seen her around. (laughs) We live next door. And and we've also got eight chickens. Now, four of those chickens are about 16, 17 weeks now. Uh, We got them when they were two weeks old, so we've been nurturing them. And from the outset, I was pretty sure our cat was going to uh, have a nice meal one day. Uh, When they get to six or seven weeks, chickens have most of their feathers so you can let them outside, they can sleep outside. And and we started letting them out of the coop for a run. And this one day I'm watching our cat, and the chickens are only this big or so at this point, they're still yellow, and uh, there's four of them and they're running around the backyard or sticking close. And I notice our cat in in the corner of my eye, and she's just watching them. And as they move, she just stalks them and she's watching. And I was pretty close, so I thought, I want to see how this unfolds. Anyway, so they came out into the open and they were exposed. And what did she do? Like a lion or a tiger, she crouched and she was ready. And she just slowly started moving towards them. And then off she goes, straight at them. And she realized that she didn't know what she was going to do with them (laughs) and so she just i think she freaked herself out and she just ran away but see that crouching is what sin is when we allow the door open god is saying if you don't do what is right sin is crouching what he's saying is sin is now present and now it's crouching why because it wants to rule you It wants to take over you. And you need to rule over it. Well, Cain can't. And he doesn't heed the advice. The bitterness, the anger is too much for him. The jealousy, the humiliation, the hurt, the grievance. And he takes out his own vigilante, misguided, hard-hearted justice. And that anger becomes so fierce that he murders his brother. See, this is the ravages of sin, and we see it over and over and over again. And that's just in Genesis. Not to mention the rest of the Bible, and not to mention our world today. Our hearts have an issue, 
and it's called sin. See, in Genesis, we have men thinking they can build a tower of Babel up to where God is, belittling God. We have daughters getting their, getting their fathers drunk and sleeping with them so that they can bear children. We have, we have firstborn sons selling their birthrights. We have men lying about their wives, telling people they're their sisters because they didn't have any faith that God would protect them. We have Joseph's older brothers selling him off to slave traders, effectively committing murder upon his life. See, what's happening here is we're introduced to the to the ever-increasing ravages of sin as it takes hold and takes control of the world. All because we don't have favour in God's sight. Because our offering is no longer worthy. See, sin pushes us away from God. We're out of the garden and now we're effectively unable to make our way back. See, this is the problem with thinking if you have enough faith, God will bless you. You won't. Because sin is crouching. Sin is there. And Paul says that it rules over us. Well, perhaps you're here today avoiding your relationship with God because you know you have fallen short. See, one of the, one of the things that we do when we're, when we're trying to seek favour from others, I think it's a reflection of the void we feel because of our shame and guilt before God. And so husbands look for the favour of their wives and, and wives look for their husbands' favour or their children's favour, or we all look for our parents' favour. Why? Because we know that they also fall short, and so the standard is different, and we are hoping that they can fill the void that only one person can fill, but because he's perfect, well, we avoid him. But see, Cain, even now, he needed to turn back to God. He needed to reveal and accept the rebuke and ask for forgiveness. But even then, where is the justice? The justice didn't happen in chapter 3. So the justice needs to be served if God is to forgive. Well, the good news of Genesis chapter 4 is that right at the heart of this is the gospel. The gospel as we know it, the good news. The one who was despised and rejected, the one that Isaiah looked forward to so that our favour with God could be restored that we could be pardoned, that we could be accepted, set free, that we could be approved to God. I just want to read you from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is talking to the Corinthians about this false gospel that's being uh, proclaimed by the so-called super-apostles. 
And they've been denouncing Paul's gospel and Paul. And Paul says this, he says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, don't start working for God's favour again because you're undermining the good news of the gospel. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. See, it's always been about God's favour. He created us favourable. Adam and Eve were favourably created. In God's image, in right relationship with him, until that fruit got taken. But we underestimate the ravages of sin. We think we can cover over sin. We think we can somehow, on a, on a balance of scales, stand before God at the end of time and be able to be deemed favourable and worthy before him. If I just do more, do more, do more, be good. But that's not how it works here. Sin is so permeating that if we don't understand the fullness of it, we'll no, never understand the fullness of the good news. Today is the day of salvation, Paul says. Today is the day of favour. Why? Because the favourable one, the Lord Jesus, chose to become unfavourable. To die on that cross and say, Father, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why? Because the only way for us to turn back to God and receive his favour and acceptance and approval as his children was for justice to be served, for his mercy to be revealed, and for the fullness of his grace, the gift of salvation to be given. And the rest of the Bible is an outworking of what we see here in chapter 4 of Genesis. There is a cycle that's being introduced. God has grace. And look at the grace he has on Cain. Your punishment is too much to bear. Okay, I'll give you a mark so that no one will kill you and they will, they will suffer seven times over. That's gracious. He's just murdered someone. God clothed Adam and Eve after he's given the curses. When Keith talked about the passage last week, he didn't mention this, but, but the great grace of God was in the clothing of them and allowing them to exit the garden. It might be punishment, but it's also grace. And as the Lord Jesus took that punishment for us, for us the only way to find favour with God is actually to turn back to him. We take it into our own hands and this is the result. We turn back to God, we confess our sin, we lay our life before him. We say, Father, please forgive me. And he will forgive us when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the great substitute, so that we could be favourable again towards God. 
It all starts here in Genesis. And it all ends on the cross. So the challenge for us this morning is are we avoiding coming to God and asking for forgiveness? Even as Christians, we lay on the foundation of grace. This is what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 6. Don't think grace saves you and then you go about working out your salvation from there. That's the super apostles message. That's the false gospel. No, no, no. You are saved by grace. And your daily life is a life of repentance and faith. Of coming before God, confessing your sin, asking for forgiveness, turning your life around, asking for the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. So that as you become angry, that anger doesn't flow over to sin. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, thou shalt not murder. But let me tell you, anyone who says racha, who is angry at his brother, well, he is heading for the hellfire effectively. So we come back to God in our anger. We confess We lay it all before him and he will set us free because we stand now on grace as we always have in our salvation. Today is the time of God's favour. Today is the day of salvation. I encourage you this week to spend time repenting and asking forgiveness for all that you have done and that you continue that spiritual discipline for the rest of your life knowing that you have been set free and that you stand in God's favour. The new song that was sung for us earlier, I'm not sure if you're planning on singing it again now like you were. Anyway, let me just read you the first part of it. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you looking at Cain and thinking, well, we would never murder. But Father, in our daily life, we commit sin. We are drawn to it, Lord, because of the sinful nature in which we have inherited. But, Father, we are not left there. We are not fatalists, Lord. We are filled with joy and freedom because you have asked us to turn and come back to you and confess. And, Father God, I pray this morning that all of us here, we won't look to each other for favour but we will look to you for favour because you have secured that favour favour through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to seek acceptance from our spouses or our friends or the world, but only you. And as we try to work that out, Lord, as we seek to honour you with our life and our finances and all that we have, as we stumble and as we fall, Lord, help us to fall on the grace that is the Lord Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. 
Help us not to be discouraged, but encouraged, because you have set us a path of freedom, despite who we are. So, Father, thank you for that. And we pray that you'll help us to live lives that are worthy by repentance and faith as we seek to honour you and build your kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.